pastor and councilman, Brian E. Hawkins. This is going to be quite fascinating because he has an interesting journey, but he also has some interesting insight into corruption, partisanship, and BS. All right, uh, Pastor, good day. Thank you for being back on the program, sir. How are you? Thank you, and I appreciate you for having me on here, and I'm excited to be back. Absolutely. All right. I want to get into one dynamic first, okay? Um, you're a councilman with San Jacinto City Council, and you all were, or you were uh, in a very viral moment, uh, and these moments have a way of defining you uh, or defining a person, but that's not the summary. You have a lot of nuance. One thing I learned, I didn't know you used to be a Republican. And turned independent, obviously left-leaning, progressive thoughts, independent thinking. That's good stuff. Uh, but tell me about that journey. Then I want to get into some of the corruption that you've been able to discover um, as you have journeyed in the leadership of politics. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I've always told myself that I was a Frederick Douglass Republican. Okay. Um, so I, you know, you know, you, when you go to my website, you'll see that there's a picture of me right in front of Frederick Douglass. Um, you know, when I ran for Congress, I ran under the Republican ticket. Um, but the platform that I stood on, prison reform, you know, reparations, just a lot of different conversations I want to talk about, education, safety in our, our community, uh, housing inequality. And I realized that that wasn't much more of a favorable conversation within the Republican Party. Uh, after the election, I took a trip uh, to two weeks down to Atlanta. Um, I've never been to Atlanta before in my entire life, never been to Georgia. I drove through there, but being from California, going to Atlanta, seeing the black excellence that I saw, seeing billboards of black doctors and seeing black business owners, you know, I had a chance to meet with Pinky Cole of a slutty vegan. So Good I was friend of mine. I was in Atlanta enjoying myself. In that time period, it was like a great awakening for me. Uh, I remember sitting at uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church and uh, right in front of the where Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, the great Coretta Scott are laid to rest. And it was Thanksgiving night and I laid there, sat there all night just listening to his voice and, you know, tears just ran down. I said, there's no way I can go back to California. This was during the Herschel Walker Warnock runoff. And I came to a conclusion, I couldn't be the West Coast Herschel Walker. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when I came back to California, I had some meetings with some of the Republicans here. I was asked to be the chairman of the Republican Party of Riverside County. And, you know, I turned it down because there were certain conversations that I couldn't talk about, certain topics that they didn't want me to focus on. And so I unregistered from the Republican Party. And and, um, and that was a, that was that was it for that that part. What did they do to you? And I'm asking it that way specifically because I know how they operate. <clears throat> I know how politics operates. Uh, generally, but I also know how it operates when there's a very specific reason they would like to connect their agenda to you. But you push back with an agenda that was still very authentic to black progress, even though contextualized inside of a conservative movement. The problem with the conservative movement is that it is becoming less and less friendly to minority thought. So you're now in this uh, situation where really for you to have space councilmen, you have to be in some ways more extreme than even white conservatives in order to be special to them. So tell us about that dynamic. What happened to you after you told them uh, basically to kiss your ass? What happened? 
<laughs> so it, it wasn't so much of, um, you know, what was said. It was when I got back from Atlanta, uh, I had a meeting uh, that was really impactful because I was offered, you know, a, a good position uh, to run a think tank and also to, to decide if I want to be the chairman. And uh, they brought up an interview um, when I was on OAN a um, few months right before the election. And I talked about reparations during that interview. And that was a that was a tough pill for them to swallow. And I was literally told that, you know, call it something else. You know, don't call it reparations. You know, you know, that's not something that's going to go over well with a lot of the donors. And um, I was told not to be so strong on some of the black issues. And and so I just felt like right then that I, I knew that I didn't want to be the William O'Neill in history. I didn't want to be mm. the person responsible for black movement getting assassinated. You know, it's so interesting. They said to you, don't be so strong on black issues. And you know what came to my mind as soon as you said that? I don't think anyone went to Marjorie Taylor Greene and said, don't be so strong on white issues. I don't think anyone went to Trump and said, don't be so strong on white issues, right? Uh, But you are a black male and they want you to adopt a narrative that's antithetical to the community you come from. Now, let me ask you this, dear brother. There are black Republicans who have accepted that role. They were not as authentic as you. They were not as genuine as you. I'm sure you know some of those black Republicans. Come on now. I know probably two or three black Republicans, but those two or three black Republicans that I know in Georgia, they know 100% of every other black Republican in the whole state, okay? What is your message to them about adopting these narratives that are now so extreme, you don't have room in the party to push a black agenda anymore? You know, when I, when I think about when I was in Georgia, and it's interesting that you brought that up, I remember the night that I was in the room at the Chick-fil-A uh, Hall of Fame Center, and uh, it was the Herschel Walker victory party. And I remember reading one of the stickers and the sticker, the slogan was run, Herschel, run. Yep. My mind, mm. I I felt like a translation and, and, I, and I, you know, but it felt like it said run, N-word, run. And that's what I thought. And, you know, and I sat back and I was looking at a lot of the, the few blacks that were in that room. And I said, you know, the compromise to be in this space. And I was looking at some of the black workers that were working there and obviously i can tell that they were in favor of seeing warnock win and looking at the disappointment in their face it was really discouraging and so you know when i think about the surface of what we're focused on and the issues that what we're ignoring is more detrimental to black progress to not have a full alignment of blacks coming together because i feel like we're, we're we're losing our position if we don't continue to really put black issues on the table, you know, with the George Floyd Act that should have been passed, the yes. John Lewis Act that should have been passed, you know, yes. you know, to see the video that you just talked about a few minutes ago with the officer with the baton, you know, it's it's unfortunate that we were not supposed to speak of these issues in depth. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, everybody got access. But it's another thing to ignore how we really got here and who's really controlling the access that you have. And so I would ask that question, do we really have access that we're trying to convince individuals that we do have? That is so well said. 
Councilman Hawkins, let me pose a question to you about uh, the Democratic Party. Because to be frank, the Democratic Party, they will play those games too. They will tell you not to push too much of the black agenda. I've had uh, Democratic lawmakers come on my show uh, and literally say right before the interview, hey, are, are you gonna ask a question about reparations? Uh, hell yeah, I'm gonna ask now. <laughs> now I'm definitely gonna yeah. ask you, right? So uh, you gotta, gotta disconnect in both, but there is more room in one than the other. Let's be frank, let's be 100 about it. Uh, what has the what has the corruption level been like inside of the Republican movements uh, or even with elected officials? Because, man, they're making legislation based on bias and racism uh, and it's spreading across the country. What has been your, I guess, view of that inside of politics? Well, I think the biggest thing that probably bothers me the most and given the fact that I'm a pastor is hiding a lot behind Christianity. Mm. Uh, I'm seeing that... Um, that evangelicals within the party is pushing more of a strong racist narrative uh, than we've probably seen since the 60s. Uh, we're dealing with it right here uh, in Riverside County uh, in Temecula and even just Marietta. Uh, they banned some books um, about a few weeks ago in the Marietta Valley Unified School District. Uh, and one of the topics, the book they, you know, they approved a book, the chapter Birth of a Nation and the Rise of the Republican Party, but they banned the books that focus on, you know, true history, you know, dealing with minorities and African-Americans in the community. And so that's the part that's the most frustrating of anything. You know, it's really interesting you brought that up because during the civil rights movement, you did not see Christian evangelical churches marching with Dr. King. Uh, as a unit or an organization, they were not supportive of the civil rights movement. They thought the civil rights movement uh, was destructive. They said it was harming America. Dr. King's approval rating at the time he was living was 6%, according to NBC News at that time. And then you have the Christian evangelicals, not helpful, but you have some white liberals, atheists, many of them, some of them, they were, because they saw this as a great human uh, pro uh, progress that needed to happen. So now you fast forward, brother, you're a Republican, you're a black Republican, you're a leader, you're a pastor, uh, you're able to hold your own as it relates to policy, which is becoming less and less uh, of a reality for both political spectrums. But policy has really taken a back seat, brother. This is about tribalism now. Am I wrong on that? No, absolutely. You're not, you're not wrong. And that's why you're not seeing really good, healthy policies being passed within the Republican Party. You know, um, as a good friend of mine, uh, Mitch, would always when we would do these dialogues on uh, Instagram, he would ask me, you know, give me one good policies that the Republican Party has introduced. And that found me having to really look deep within myself. You know, sometimes yep. you have to be honest and say these policies aren't good. Um, I know that a lot of my um, Republican partners have voted against the infrastructure bill. But here in my city, I know how much that infrastructure bill has helped in so many ways. When it comes down to roads, we created more jobs. You know, we were able to repair our wells in our city. I mean, there was so many things that came from it. I mean, we're about to realign our highway from that infrastructure bill uh, that we just 
created a cross-city partnership. And so a lot of times we're so big on trying to sabotage the other party that the people at the bottom are suffering the most. How would you define corruption? If I just say define corruption for me, how would you define that? You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I just got through binge watching Snowfall and I watched <laughs> that. You know, I never cried at the end of a mm. season. I grew up in that. You know, I grew mm. up in wow. California. I watched the crack uh, epidemic. You know, I spent 10 years in prison. And so I seen, you know, how the community was decimated. You know, I have uncles that were on drugs, family members that spent time behind bars. So I've seen how the corruption of the government attacking the community. And I remember texting my mother after the show. I said, you know, there's never really been real aid to help the minority community. There's been a war on poverty. There's been a war on, you know, drugs. But the reality of it is there's always been a war on Black people in America. And so when you talk about corruption, I look at that war, you know, Hispanics, there's been a war, Asians, there's been a war. It seems like every marginalized group, every minority group has been somehow put into a box, divided and put against each other. And I'm seeing that more now than anything. And uh, it, it's just sad to when I look at the outcome and then to tell someone, hey, you know, you have access, just just deal with it. As a councilman for San Jacinto, have you seen your colleagues engaged in corrupt practices? So not the current council that we have. The actual current council that we have is really, really good. I mean, we've been able to push forward a lot of good things in our city. Now, we did have a council member. Actually, we had a council member that went to jail for uh, marijuana and, you know, he that we ended up removing him from the council. And then think about maybe 10 years ago, we had some corruption within our council where a few, I think like three or four of the council members end up going to jail for bribery. Uh, so there had been some history of corruption. I understand, I understand the bribery, brother. You just, did y'all <laughs> remove a councilman because he got caught with marijuana? Yeah. So no, he didn't get caught back. with marijuana. No, 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 no. He okay. didn't get caught with marijuana. A, it was an illegal dispensary that he was an aide of helping, and then he had got arrested on domestic violence charges. Okay, and so he had some other yeah. stuff happening. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. Not because he had weed in his pocket. No. All right. We gotcha. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm glad you cleared that up. Okay. So you have a, a new council you can work with them, but naturally, you know, folks taking bribes, all kind of crazy stuff happening. Uh, when you engage. Uh, black Republicans today, from your perspective now as a leader, right? What is your typical advice? And remember, a lot of people are going to see this. So what is your advice to black Republicans right now? And for me, I don't care what party you belong to. I really don't. All right. I criticize both. I do care what policies you subscribe to. I care deeply about that. So what is your advice to black Republicans today? Well, you know, I guess the biggest advice I would ask is, you know, you know, is what you're saying is going to be written in history as being the part that hurt the community mm. that you've been. Uh, how much of these talking points that you've been subscribed to is going to alienate? You know, I remember my daughter, 11 years old, asked me when I was running and she knew I wasn't a big I was focused span of Black Lives Matter. And she asked me, she's like, Dad, do you feel like you're alienating the black community? by not you know, supporting Black Lives Matter publicly. And she was nine years old when she wow. asked me this question when I was running for city council. And so for a nine-year-old to see how much that would hurt not supporting 
And even now, my entire family, my wife, my children, they're excited that I left the Republican Party. I mean, you know, they following dad, they're following a black man, they're following good leadership in the household. But when I hear them speak now, they have this level of, wow, you know, weight lifted off their shoulder that we're not surrounded by people who have this, you know, outward hate, this bigotry. And I'm not going to say all people in the Republican Party, but there's some there's some real serious concerns that bother me uh, that I, I see that as we get closer to this 2024 election, we're about to see racism that's going to remind us of what the 60s was like. Like. Uh, the Apostle Paul, Paul of Damascus, you saw the light. You decided not to kick against it, but to embrace it and to walk a journey of truth and admit you may have been wrong about some things. One of the greatest, one of the greatest indicators of growth and maturity is saying I was wrong. Dear brother, I appreciate the fact that you are even more of a vigorous leader because you did not reject truth when it was put directly in front of you. Um, For those who are uh, listening, your life, uh, those who are watching, your life uh, has really been a significant journey about understanding experience and having that context. You're in prison for a number of years. You come out, uh, you have this amazing reputation in your community, you're a pastor, you get elected by the people. Um, But there are some who believe hey, if I have that background, I can't get in politics. Uh, And I went through that myself. I was in and out of juvenile detention, had run-ins with law enforcement, uh, was a gang member. But the truth is, you can overcome the mistakes of your youth. You can do that. For those who are listening and watching, brother, who are young, what's your advice to them? Well, you know, know, mistakes don't define you. That's right. Uh, It's how you respond to those mistakes. Uh, the last day those cell doors was closed and I saw so many guys that came in and, you know, in and out. I watched a guy parole Friday. It was back Monday. Wow. Um, and mm. so I know how hurtful that system is, the revolving door of the prison system. Um, but I would encourage every young person out there that's watching this, you know, is the, you know, don't let moments that may seem like a setback be the thing that you hold on to. Uh, use that moment to be empowered with it. Um, you know, be the loudest voice in the room, you know, and show people that there's still greatness in you. Uh, every day I wake up, you know, wanting to redefine what what it means to be an ex-felon, somebody that grew up in the streets, you know, and give people a sense of hope. And so uh, believe in yourself even when nobody else does. Such a powerful message from a powerful brother. Councilman, we thank you for your leadership. Yes, sir. Hey, and I just want to say before I get off of here, uh, yeah. there's a brother I know out of Atlanta. There's a brother named Chevy Brooks, uh, Alfred Chevy Brooks. I just wanted to give a special shout out. His son, Bryce, uh, died a few weeks ago. Mm. Uh, hero saving some young men's life in a lake. And so this young 14 year old kid gave his life. And That's I right. just, you know, just give a special shout out to Alfred, man. He's running for school board in Atlanta and he has my ultimate support and prayer. And I just wanted to end it on something just to let you know I'm thinking about that brother. I echo your sentiment. Um, I don't know uh, the brother personally, but I did cover that story when it happened. And you have to imagine to have such an amazing young man who's willing to do something that heroic. You have an amazing father. You have amazing parents. You have an amazing village. All right. Thank you, dear brother. Thank you, sir.